0: election day is Tuesday. And what can be expected as the usual, the tension is real. It's no secret that in the West, we are typically a politically divided people. You may have heard it before, left versus right. Which side is right, which side is wrong? Is it the liberal snowflakes? Is it the conservative jerks? Well, whoever, is wrong, let me tell you, they are very wrong. They don't care about anyone, they don't understand politics, they don't understand the world, and I gotta tell you right now, if Jesus were to pick a side, he would clearly pick fill in the blank. You've heard this before. Maybe you've said it, maybe you've felt it. We've heard it before. We, as humans, sinful humans, Love to create our own little earthly kingdoms in which we dwell. Inside of these kingdoms are things that we inherently desire. They are places that are comfortable. They are kingdoms that are well known to our own souls. They are kingdoms that are not challenging to our own mindsets, to our own hearts. They are our own comfy kingdoms. They are kingdoms with big, thick walls built around them. That way people with different ideas or different mindsets can't speak into them. These are our comfy kingdoms. And our kingdoms really, in fact, are just full of things that we need to surrender to Jesus. Our kingdoms also include our political preferences. I preached two weeks ago as we finished up the series, Live No Lies, and I encouraged you to continuously, not just on one Sunday, but throughout the Christian walk, be able to ask yourself two questions. In what ways have I been assimilated to the culture? And in what ways have I drifted from my identity in Christ or my heavenly citizenship? two questions in life that we need to be continuously asking ourselves as we can be so easily locked inside our comfy kingdoms. In Revelation 4, I'll throw the verse on the screen, it says this, they lay their crowns before the throne and say, you are worthy. Our Lord and our God to receive glory and honor and power for you created all things. And by your will, they were created and have their being. You are worthy. They lay their crowns. And what are these crowns that they're talking about in Revelation? What are they laying before God? Well, we all have crowns, so to speak. Our crowns represent our authority. They represent our own illusion of free will. The crowns we wear represent our sense of pride, our accomplishments, our illusion of control. And I love this, in Revelation we see a people sacrificing their own will, sacrificing their own preferences, sacrificing their own opinions before God and saying, you are worthy. God, only you are worthy. Essentially, they are saying, Jesus, here is all of my human effort. Your ways are better. His ways are better. In all of life, and in politics, as we'll be talking today, we have a decision to make. We are called to be good stewards of everything that we are given. And that includes your vote on Tuesday. And I'm going to tell you right now, from this stage, in a one-on-one on on coffee, in a small group, in any setting, we are not here to tell you who to vote for. That is not our job, okay? You will never see us from this stage, in a small group, or in a one-on-one, telling you, you should vote for this person. No. Absolutely not. What we will ask you is, what kind of steward are you being of the thing that God has given you? We must ask the question, how does my vote affect others? As we read the verse, love thy neighbor as thyself. We must ask ourselves, does my vote reflect, does it mirror the way of Jesus as we are called to walk in the way of him, to practice like him, to be like him? Does the way that I vote encourage others to love him, be with him, be near him, be like him? In a culture that preaches divisiveness, does my vote preach unity? In a culture that preaches you can pick and choose from whichever things you want, does my vote preach the same wholeness that Jesus preaches? If the answer to that is no, or the answer to any of that looks like mine maybe doesn't look like Jesus, I encourage you today to take this next 45 minutes seriously, to look at these verses again. They lay their crowns before the throne and say, you are worthy. You are worthy. Jesus, here is all of my human effort. Your way is better. It's better, it's better, it's better. This morning, we're gonna have an exercise for you. And yes, we're going to ask you to get out of your seats. And on either side of the stage, we have crowns here. And I don't want you to do anything with it quite yet. I want you to come up and grab a crown and just take it back to your seat. And remember, these crowns represent things to be surrendered to God, whether that be your political preferences, whether that be your financial situation, your career, your family the baggage that you came in with this morning. This crown represents that today. And at this time, I would encourage you just to ask God what he has next for you this morning. So I'm gonna gonna pray for us quickly and then we'll do that together. Jesus, King Jesus of the heavenly realms of which my citizenship lies, of which our, which radiant church's citizenship lies. King Jesus, you have it all. Our hearts are yours, our breath is yours, our words are yours, our minds are yours, Jesus. God, we come to you this morning as a church desiring to be ready for whatever it is you have for us today, God if we came in with an idea of how today was going to go, if we came in with a preference or an opinion of how today was going to go, God, may we cast that to the side. May we open up our hands, our hearts, our minds, and our souls, Jesus, to be prepared for whatever it is you have for us, God. Our hearts are yours, Jesus. Your ways are better, King Jesus. We surrender to you. Say your name we pray. Amen.
1: Everybody has a story. Every nation has a story. These stories unite us together. They bind people under a common narrative. These stories help define the moral limits of a, of a country, who they are, why they exist, how far will they go. But over time, in every country, different opinions They arise and and different people have ideas on what that story looks like and how it's to be played out, how it applies to them. Over time, differences occur. Welcome to the world of politics. For the last 150 years, the, the country's largely been divided by two parties. It's a Republican, Democrat. Originally, they formed on the disagreement on slavery and how the country should engage that. Over time, as the Industrial Revolution kicked in and American technology began to soar, that changed. For many decades, the Republican Party became about those who want to get ahead in life, those who want to succeed. Largely then, the Democratic Party narrative during that time was to fight for those who wanted a fair shake. Those who believed that they needed voices in the marketplace of ideas to fight for their ideas, what they stand for, and give everybody an opportunity to succeed. However, during the 70s and the 80s, that narrative began to change. For a lot of us, we maybe didn't see it at first, but more and more, it began to change. And one of the ways it began to change is this, as sociologists look out there, and they've, they've had decades now to look back, is we went really from two parties to four at that time. And we maybe didn't even realize it. More than that, even within the parties, whether you looked at Democrat or you looked at Republican, there were factions within that as well. How often have we said liberal Democrat or conservative Democrat? Liberal, conservative. So we are a country with many different ideas, many different opinions, far more fragmented than we'd like to believe, nor is it ever as simple as one party or the other. And here we are now two days away from an election, and we wanted to take a moment to say what matters. But more than that, I wanna look at those four different parties, those four fragmentations in our country. Not to put anyone in a box because I do, as we read through them, I want you to go, hey, which, which one of these kind of applies to me? Which one do I resonate with the most? That's one reason, but the other reason is to be able to look and understand the ones that you don't necessarily resonate with and better understand why that group believes what they believe, why they hold strongly to those beliefs. Because far. Too often, our posture isn't, is, isn't it in this country, it's too easy sometimes just go, well, if you don't think like I think and believe what I believe, you're evil. And I'm good, right, or wrong. And we put these lines in the sand. So today I want us to understand that different people think differently and why. And maybe we can better understand how to engage somebody else in conversations civilly rather than out of anger and hatred and heaven forbid violence on that. So let's take a look real quick at what these four groups are in America. And I hope you find this as fascinating as I do. And let's see which one maybe you fit in. The first one we call Free America. What are they free from? Government, big government. This group doesn't like government involvement in anything. And their primary focus is rugged individualism. They believe strongly in personal and property rights. At the core this idea is freedom's all you have, so you better protect it. Your personal freedom is something you have to fight for. Even if it's a freedom to mess up and live any way you want. I can smoke, drink, carry a gun, and worship any way I want. I'm guessing there's a few heads in here going, yep, on that one, right? And here, let me, get, let me get you nervous for a second. It's the same group that would say, don't you dare tell me to put a mask on, and if you put that thing in my arm, I'm going to punch you. Who are you to tell me how to live? That's a group. You probably know some people in your life that would resonate towards this. Who are they? They're typically a little less affluent. Didn't say poor, they're just not part of the 10%. This is popular among white evangelicals. That's good and bad news. It means it permeates the white church in America, by far. These are what we call the Reagan Republicans, and a lot of your libertarians fall into this bracket as well. What's the downside on this? And pursuing and focusing on personal rights and freedoms, we can lose sight of those who are hurting around us. When the focus is all about me protecting my rights, when it's all about me getting a fair shake, me, 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 we can lose sight of them, them, them. Those who don't benefit from the things that benefit you. Who don't see a reprieve from the things that you are enjoying. So one of the dangers in this is that in fighting for my rights, I can fail to fight for the rights of others in this one. What's the second group we need to look at today? Smart America is what we call them. In Smart America, they respect intelligence, credentials, and expertise. These are the folks that we, we, we go to and they typically have small letters behind their name like PhD and a few other things as well. They think globally, They love diversity, and they welcome change. They believe government intervention is necessary for equity, for others to benefit from things. The poor, they believe, need a social safety net, and so you'll see this group often fighting for free education, free childcare, and healthcare as well. They are uncomfortable with patriotism, However, I wanna stop there. They're not uncomfortable because they're not patriotic. They are patriotic, but if we go back to that second line, they think globally. So they don't think only in terms of America. This group of people sees America as one amongst many players in the world globally. They think bigger than America. So you don't always see them waving the flag and going, yay, America. This group thinks bigger picture, typically. Often they represent the top 10% of income makers in this country. They are typically college grads, many with advanced degrees. They live in good neighborhoods with urban areas, so you'll typically find them in the, the upper middle class suburbs of large cities. Their success, this is important, is a result of the meritocracy that they may not even realize they have. What is a meritocracy? Meritocracy is when you live in a world where the people around you, such as your parents and others, can afford to give you a leg up that other people cannot get. That you have things available to you as part of this special class that other people may not have available to them. And it can be unfair in that sense. In summary, this is the wealthy elite in America. What's the downside on it? In their comfort and wealthy lifestyle, they can be walled off from the rest of society. Whereas the first group, because they're focused on me, can fail to understand others, this group is in a bubble. In their nice neighborhoods and their clean life and all that's going on, they can be walled off from the rest of society. Notice we talked about they welcome societal change and they wanna help people, but there's a caveat to this. As long as it doesn't interrupt their day-to-day lives, nor their meritocracy on that. A great example I put on there was not too long ago. Do you remember in the news when they shipped up some of the illegal aliens uh, to, to uh, Martha's Vineyard? And they didn't know what to do with them except ship them out as quickly as possible from their neighborhood. And I'm not picking on them, particularly that, but it's a great example of, you know what? I'm all for how things are working in immigration. I'm all for what's going on in this thing, just as long as they don't show up in my neighborhood. Know what I mean? So this group, that's what happens. In smart America, they can get in a bubble. It's a risk they run, and they have to be careful of that. Third group, we call this group Real America. These are the common people, and I don't mean common people in a bad way. This is the vast majority of America. Often, they have traditional small-town American values. Even if they live in the big city, they hold to these small-town, old-fashioned American values. They're hardworking, they're patriotic, typically pro-American and often pro-union. These are the people running your factories, fighting our wars, growing our food, and teaching our kids. However... On this group, they are, they are distrustful and suspicious of educated sophisticates. In other words, the group we just talked about before. They believe the system is rigged against them. That's again talking about that meritocracy that's going on. And overall, they believe they are the unheard working class in America. What's the Downside with this group. They can lead towards a conspiracy theorist mindset. Why? Because they believe the man is out to get them. Who's the man? Any system or anything that's working against them being able to break out or their kids break out of the cycle of poverty or wherever stage of life they are. This is the group, again, that does not feel they are heard. This is the group that believes the system is rigged against them. So because of that, they believe the man is out to get them. So welcome to Trump's America. This was the group he appealed to the most in the last election. He got a good chunk from the first group we talked about as well, and that's why he won the election in 2016. Nobody expected him to grab that group. He grabbed two groups in that election. This group in particular, though, is the one he grabbed. These are Hillary's basket of deplorables, which was not the nicest thing she could have ever said on that. That's who she was talking about. Because this group feels that nobody is listening to them, they can have an insurgency mindset. Welcome to January 6th. I didn't say rebellious. What insurgency says is, it's, it's a cry for help. It says nobody's listening to me. The system is rigged against me. I feel unable to do anything about it. I'm getting angry and you're going to force me into action eventually. That's what an insurgency mindset is. This group does not believe they're being heard. Let's get to the fourth one we see. Just America. I came up with that name to be nice because there's very easily another word we can pick for this one in our culture, can't we? That word is woke. But I think that that word's derogatory, so we're not going to use it today. But do understand, that's who we're talking about. In just America, the mantra is justice is power. Unfortunately, with this group of people, they have a spirit of attack rather than aspiration. What do I mean? They will typically come after you before they see the best in you. Notice that in our culture a little bit? They believe this country is less a project to be improved on but a wrong to be battled. You see the difference? They don't look out with optimism and go, you know what, I think if we just work a little harder, try better, this country will be a better place. No, by and large, their philosophy is, we have to just destroy it and start again. All the problems are associated with white America, their greed and cruelty with this group. That's why we see racism talked about so much in the news here in the last few years. Opposing opinions, are considered a form of violence or hate speech with this group. If you disagree with them, they're coming after you. They believe the loudest voice in a controversy wins and offending them can cost you your career. We know that as cancel culture out there. What do we know about this group? They're young, they're highly educated, many of them making over $100,000 a year. Here's the interesting thing. Where did they come from? Remember that second group we talked about, Smart America? These are their kids. They came out of that group largely. These are the children of Smart America. And what's interesting about them on the bottom there, I like to pick big words out, makes makes you think I'm smart uh, on that. They repudiate meritocracy. In other words, they're like, I don't like it. They, they would even talk about how unfair it is. But what's interesting with this group is they will not give up its advantages, however. They do like the benefit they get from it. What's the downfall? In this group, it's, they have a failure of being able to tell a story we can all see ourselves in. You can see that now. We see the we see the fights on the street, we see the anger, we see the cancel culture, the activism in this group, which can all be good things, not saying it's bad, but the way we see it with this group, it doesn't invite us into their story, it's beginning to repel America, if you haven't noticed. They're beginning to turn on it a little bit. In, in having good things to stand for, in inequality, Racism, social classes, all things that we should fight against and fight for. But how you fight can be more important than what you say sometimes, can't it? The Bible tells us that. If you're just noise, nobody's listening. And more and more, they have failed to invite us into their story and create a path for us to follow. And and the thing with this group is that they're good at deconstructing but not reconstruction. They they can't build something else behind it. They just seem to know how to destroy. I'm angry, I'm mad, I don't like it, tear it down. This we're seeing more and more here in the last year and I'll be curious to see if we see this more in the next couple years the economy is beginning to turn on them as the jobs their parents enjoyed are becoming less and less common. Sociologists call this elite overproduction. In other words, the parents were the elites at one time and then they had about three kids and now we have three times as many elites out there and not necessarily as many jobs. Does that make sense? So we're beginning to see this thing called elite overproduction come in and it'll be interesting to see how that plays out in the end. Today, I'd like to offer you a fifth alternative if I could. The sociologists don't offer this one, so this is mine. I'd like to offer you one that I call Kingdom-Minded America. In Kingdom-Minded America, we're not defined by a political party. And those who disagree are not the enemy. We do not rely on ourselves or human knowledge. We serve our king and we live like him. We stand up for others and put their needs above our own. We don't tear people down, we strive to build them up. And we understand that righteousness and justice belong to the Lord only. Who are these people? They're humble people from many walks of life. They're not defined by skin color, education, or finances. Their only desire is to live life, holy lives, in the service of the king. I wanna remind you of something that's so important to understanding Christianity. When you say yes to Jesus, you give up your citizenship here on earth and you become a citizen of heaven. This is really hard for Christians to understand. Jesus told us in John chapter 15, a great reminder. He says on that, if you belong to the world, it would love you as its own, as it is. Would you say that with me? You do not belong to the world. One more time. You do not belong to the world, but I have chosen you out of this world. So I just wanna ask you three questions for you to wrestle with this week and then I'm gonna leave. The first one is this. Which one has priority in life? Your American citizenship or your heavenly citizenship? Which one has priority in your life? Let me ask a second question that I want you to wrestle with. Have you ever considered that your political beliefs may be getting in the way of your ability to evangelize somebody else? Have you ever considered that what you believe politically, and I'm not telling you wrong, I'm just, I want you to consider though. Have you ever considered that your political beliefs get in the way of your personal witness for Jesus Christ? And the last one's an even tougher question. Does it sometimes look like you care more for earthly politics than you do heavenly obedience? Are you still earthly minded, although you are a citizen of heaven? If you're a follower of Christ, you don't belong to this world. You are a citizen of heaven. You've been called out of this world. And and that includes your politics. We're called to be kingdom-minded in our politics. And you're not defined by a political party. And please, let me just state this. No political party out there has a monopoly on Jesus Christ, okay? As you saw from up here, they all have their pros, they all have their cons. I don't wanna live in a world where any one of them is the only voice in our country. I want you to vote like a kingdom person. And so the challenge is this. When you go in there, do you vote with a kingdom perspective? Or let me ask something, this one might really be an ouch, sorry, do you just vote the same way every time without ever doing any homework before you walk into that voting booth? Same party, same people, why? Because I always have, well that's who my parents did. When's the last time before you walked into that booth, you actually took the time to step back a few days before and find out who the candidates are, what they believe, and who I should be voting for? That's what kingdom people do. They are not defined by a political party, they are defined by Christ. And they vote as if Jesus was voting That's why I love this verse, final verse for the day. We take it out of Colossians 3. It says, whatever you do, work at it with all your heart as working for the Lord, not human masters. And I don't think I'm too far off at all to replace work in this with voting because voting, if you do your homework, is work. Whatever you do, vote with all your heart As if voting for the Lord, not political parties. So what I'm asking from you is this. Be good stewards with your vote. Vote as kingdom people. And when you get in there, remember, as a citizen of heaven, you represent Jesus Christ. Vote as a citizen of heaven. Let's pray. Dear Lord, as we go into this season, may we again surrender those kingdoms, surrender those things in our lives, maybe long-term held beliefs, and sit back and reconsider what would a kingdom person do? How would Jesus have me to vote? Give us the humility, Lord, to look deep inside, and give us the eyes to see the world as you see it, far beyond earthly things. May we be a heavenly people. And Lord, may our politics never ever get in the way of our witness. In your holy and precious name, amen.
2: At this time, I want to invite you to do something with that crown. And you can make the decision what you do with it. whether. Whatever that crown represents for you, those kingdoms that we've talked about, whether political or otherwise, that you are holding on to, that need to be cast before the Lord. If you're ready to lay those things at the foot of the cross and surrender them to Jesus, then as we sing this next song, I invite you to bring them up to stage and let them set here by the cross. And if you're not ready or maybe you don't know exactly what that crown represents for you yet, I invite you to take it home. Put it somewhere where you can see it. Pray about it regularly this week. Come before the Lord with it. Ask him where he needs to mold you what you need to let go of to live a more holy righteous life so you have those options
0: there we go thank you again for worshiping with us today i hope that you were able to just encounter jesus in a fresh way this morning i was Literally, I mean, I, I cry a lot anyways, but I was getting emotional over there just, just watching our people come forth and, and cast their crowns because as you mentioned earlier, in a culture that preaches divisiveness and pick and choose, what a breath of fresh air it is to be with people that say, I choose Jesus and his wholeness and his unity. So thank you. And if you're taking your crown home to reflect on it and think on it more, I'm so proud of you for making that decision, and I hope you take that seriously this week. I hope that today you leave here and you remember that as you go into this week, you're not doing this alone. If you'd like that slide that talked about kingdom-minded America while you research your candidates, please tell me. I'll email it to you. If you need to talk to someone about this, talk to one of us on staff. We have a members we have elder team we have small groups that would love to be a sounding board for you we are a relational church and community is at the core of everything we do you were not meant to do this alone and you don't have to so thank you for coming in today I encourage you to continue being challenged this week I love you all and I will see you next week see you guys later have a good Sunday